A fool there was, and he made his prayer, even as you and I, to a rag and bone and a hank of hair. We called her the woman who did not care, but the fool he called her his lady fair, even as you and I. There are many names for a woman who might be seen as something different. In a sexual and alluring way, nowadays, there are hideous names such as slut and whore. But earlier on in history, these behaviours and looks might have given rise to various creatures. The control and the allure that this creature might have had on someone, whether it be the opposite or same sex, lay dominant in their physical appearance. Its charms and deceitful nature gave rise to many creatures, such as the soul-sucking vampire or the sexually charged succubus. All in all, the victims are unknowing of the woman's actions and it all boils down to the delusion of sex. And how would they know if their decisions are compromised because of charm and allure? The promise of something they want makes them hypnotised, an ability that anyone could copy really, given the right setting and set of skills. But what would you say if an alien did this, diving deep into the human culture and just the skies of sorts, under the skin of another? Would it be charming enough to take you under? This is two takes, and this is one shot, an analysis of the film, Under the Skin. But first, a word from our sponsor. And now, on with the show. Be warned, spoilers are ahead. This film was presented in a sci-fi context, with the twist being that the protagonist was the alien, giving a different perspective of something other looking into our human world. A curious outlook on what us humans might think an alien would feel about us. In this case, it has been deemed a cult classic, even if it did not do very well when it was released. Though Under the Skin did not get the understanding it deserved, it does have many underlying themes and many unanswered questions that have a lack of conversation or script to be open to interpretation. However, though I do not have all the answers, I find the fun to be in the analysing of these moments within the film that might have been misunderstood or overlooked. In order to dive into the wild of Under the Skin, many things have to be explained, such as the piece of poem that was used at the beginning of the episode. Behind its simplicity, it, with other aspects of creativity in many mediums, manifested a trope that in turn made this film. The poem itself, written by Rudyard Kipling, explains the beginnings of Femme Fatale that presents the woman as the predator over the male counterpart being the prey or victim. It goes like this. A fool there was, and he made his prayer, even as you and I, to a rag and a bone and a hank of hair. We called her the woman who did not care, but the fool he called his lady fair even as you and I. Oh, the years we waste and the tears we waste, and the work of our head and hand belonged to the woman who did not know, and now we know that she never could know and did not understand. A fool there was, and his goods he spent, even as you and I, honour and faith and a sure intent, and it wasn't the least what the lady meant, but a fool must follow his natural bent, even as you and I. Oh, the toil we lost, and the spoil we lost, and the excellent things we planned, belonged to the woman who didn't know why, and now we know that she never knew why, and did not understand. The fool was stripped to his foolish hide, even as you and I, which she might have seen when she threw him aside, but it isn't on record the lady tried, so some of him lived, but most of him died, 
even as you and I. And it isn't the shame, and it isn't the blame, that stings like a white heart brand. It's coming to know that she never knew why, seeing at last she could never know why, and never could understand. As the poem inspired by Philip Byrne Jones's painting entitled The Vampire suggests, from adoration of a woman that did not care, of the giving of everything into his throne aside, where some of him lived and most of them died, indicates the implied act of what a vampire can do, of draining her victims until they are satisfied. It shouldn't matter at this point whether blood was spilt. What mattered was that he was hypnotised by her. She was not human, and because he was human and under her spell, he could not be blamed. It is the act of draining his strength, of him being hypnotised, of the use of her sexuality to get what she wants, to be the real mastering of the trope. The femme fatale, the fatal woman, the predator under the beauty, the empowerment of the female that enticed the American slang of vamp from the vampire. The first line of the poem, A Fool There Was, became a 1915 film of the same name. It consorts this vampire of sorts through the woman seducing and corrupting a man, making the exchange bloodless but draining nonetheless. The woman within the film was the first star to be named Vamp, Theda Bara, an anagram for Arab death. The exotic and erotically mysterious temptress was a true sex symbol by the actions of the sinful woman, the opposite of the innocence and wholesomeness of various other female actresses. Theda was seen as something else, what with her raven hair and dark eyes and unforgivable nature within her typecast roles. A quote from Theda Bara says this, V stands for vampire and it stands for vengeance. The vampire I play is the vengeance of my sex upon its exploiters. You see, I have the face of a vampire, perhaps, but the heart of a feminist. This typecasting dominated the female fatale, and even now, it sets the stage when the world where the female is a dominating gender, perhaps fighting something more. But surely the femme fatale was around longer than this? And if you agreed that it was, then you would be right. There are ancient archetypes of the femme fatale trope. Within the various religions, there has always been stories that show a cautionary tale. What if I told you that some have lingered more than others? Such as Adam's first wife was not necessarily Eve. There is a story within the alphabet of Ben Sira, made in the 8th to 10th century AD, that has been said to show the oldest form of the story. The background and purpose of this collection of stories is unclear, however it is about heroes within the Bible and it is in the Talmud, the central text of rabbinic Judaism. It has been commented that this collection is more than a satire, or like folklore than gospel, however, I shall let you decide. Lilith was her name, the first wife of Adam, made by the same earth and clay as him through God. This interpretation of Adam having a wife before Eve is within the book of Genesis, which can be seen as true or false, depending on, on how one reads it. Nonetheless, the story goes that Lilith was created, and immediately her and Adam would bicker. Lilith claims that since she and Adam were created in the same way, they should be seen as equal, and so, she refuses to submit to him, eventually resulting in Lilith fleeing the Garden of Eden by flying away. God sends three messengers to get her back. When she refuses, she agrees to God's demand of 100 of her children to die every day, and for pregnant women and infants to be protected from her influence and spreading of illness by an amulet that presents her name. By this time, instead of being human, Lilith is seen as a flying demon. And the hundred of her children every day dying 
a bit of an exaggeration, but she was a very fertile demon, and these were not children, but demon spawn. But remember, I am giving you an overview of the story, it is best to research this in more depth to get a full understanding. The reason of her involvement in the explanation of the femme fatale trope was because of what she entails. The primary characteristics within these legends of Lilith was presenting her as an incarnation of lust, causing men to be led astray. She was said to have long dark hair, pale skin, and an obsession with gazing at herself in the mirror. In the Talmond, this is the simpler form of her having long hair, wings, and having sex with men whilst they slept, giving the embodiment of unwholesome acts. The tradition of Lilith has had a resurgence mainly due to the feminist movement of the late 20th century. Why? Because of her actions of wanting equality with Adam, of supporting and concentrating primarily of her want of independence. Her story has inspired new writers, with her image of Babylonian she-demon is effectively reborn each time her character is reinterpreted. And her inclusion in this film analysis is a just cause. You just have to wait and see. But before I move on, I wish to involve another ancient archetype. This one is Mohini, the Hindu goddess of enchantment. She is the only female avatar of the god Vishnu, one of the principal deities of Hinduism, revered as a supreme being. Mohini is introduced in the narrative epic Mahabharata, one of the two major Sanskrit epics of ancient India. Here she appears as a form of Vishnu whilst acquiring the pot of Amrita, elixir of immortality, from the thieving Asans, demons, and giving it back to the Devas, the gods, helping them retain their immortality. The name Mohini comes from the root verb moha, meaning to enchant, perplex, or disillusion. Within Gudrad's book, The Mayor of the Gods, Mohini, he writes, Mohini is the impersonation of the magically delusive nature of existence, which fetters all beings to the rounds of births and deaths and vicissitudes of life. She is essentially a maya, an illusion, which does not have an independent existence. She is only temporary and is essentially absorbed back into Vishnu after serving her purpose of enchanting and getting what she wants. So you have two religious femfortales, as well as a creatively poetic and cinematic interpretation of the trope. But how does this help towards the understanding of the film Under the Skin? Well, let us review. The film begins with a bright light, looking like a close-up of a star and the mutterings of a woman almost practicing the phonetics and syllables of the human language. The star grows into proportion, getting clearer to the point it becomes a human eye, and then the camera cuts to black before moving on. This can be interpreted as a creation of sorts much like how God created the earth in seven days. Many things might not make sense when something is being created until we see the end result, hence the startling noises getting louder and the images getting bigger and in more focus. There is also importance of the use of colours, the chosen ones being blue and red. The obvious would be good and evil, however, I think there is more to it than simply that. I think the blue represents the earth and its inhabitants, whilst the red represents the alien counterpart that is wanting to infest it. The biker, a male, then goes into the darkness of the side of a motorway to retrieve a female body that flops in his arms. The female is not dead, as we see a tear running from her eyes as she looks at her clone, the alien that, like the film was projecting, is under her skin, using her image to blend in. 
Now, the male Baker at this movie can be interpreted as a female's alien superior, much like Lilith's creation being from man, like Mohini's illusion coming from her male counterpart. The female alien is helped in her costume of sorts by the male alien, and Mohini's existence being only needed for the purpose of going back to where she came from. The female alien, along the whole story arc, could present the understanding, especially in the ending, when the male Barker does not help her, that the female counterpart of the alien is essentially a means to an end, to gather the resource on Earth. That the male Barker could get more help, more aliens to hide under the skin of other females for the job to be done, and the resource? The insides of human males, with the skin left behind like a pot balloon. But why the femme fatale? Well, as you have probably gathered by now, that is what the female alien is doing. She is tempting men into a van, or to abandoned buildings with the promise of sex, leads them into a black void to which they take off all their clothes, and then sinks into the abyss. The abyss echoing a blue hue, perhaps to represent the last of their humanity, until they pop, whereas their insides are wheeled down a conveyor belt into a strip of red light. In a way, this might be representing that the aliens are only interested in what is inside of a human. Could be seen as a sweet compliment if it weren't quite so literal. Oh well. From the look that the alien chooses with red being the main colour in her clothing and lipstick, her demeanour being to ask for help from the big strong man, basically any man who comes along, with the behaviours being the back and forth ping pong of compliments, was asking questions that seem as conversation starters that really are presenting as important. Do they live alone? Do they have family? Friends? It seems the alien is looking for something of a loner who is willing to go with a beautiful stranger. And in the film, it's not as hard as you think. Sounds like a rom-com until you realise the reality of the danger. This is a continuous thing until the alien begins to grow a conscience, that the trappings of human males cease, getting eclipsed by this impending doom of not being human after all. But what does it mean to be human anyway? Lilith finds her own self by demanding her own independence, with the unconscious choice of losing some form of herself, and Mohini, well, she's an illusion of what another can see. Even though, like Mohini, the female alien does look like any other female, she is the illusion of it, and her independence is the basic defiance of not doing what she was there to do. But, with a scene of her attempting to have human sex and to see what the fuss is all about, does not work. The understanding goes to her core. She tries to eat a cake, but chokes it back up almost immediately. She does not need these things to exist. Like her facade of acting human falls almost immediately, with the need of talking almost taken out of her equation when she wanders around lost. What is the point of words if she cannot do what she wants? It's almost like the facade was a repression of emotions that, now without words, she is wallowing in the unexplained connectivity to what it is to be human. The emotions are perhaps so overwhelming, she doesn't even know how to process them. The backdrop of the film, being set in the landscape of Scotland, implies the isolation and emptiness of her predicament. With the abstract filmmaking of images of the streets of Glasgow, following what human men and women are doing, then images of the alien driving around gives it a never-ending loop, a non-linear timeline of events presenting the aspect of her doing the same task over and over, without any sort of ending. Going back to the femme fatale trait of the woman leading her lovers to potentially compromising and deadly traps, the film presents the aspect of control and how fragile the concept of having control can be to female alien, her victims, and other outside influences. 
It can be understood that the female alien has the control for most of the film, until it becomes obvious that she does not. Not that she lost it, but rather, she never really had it in the first place. She is in a chaotic world, where there is not anything near as easily identifiable as predator and prey. There is more than simply the aspect of black and white, good and evil, and in this case, human and alien. There is the alienating behaviour that the female alien shows, like the upsetting scene near the sea. However, there is also this type of behaviour where the danger is really all around her, and her being seen as a lone female in the end becomes her undoing. From the youth that try and break her van with her inside becomes a slow understanding for the alien to realise her own danger, and then the almost rape from the lumberjack in the middle of the forest becomes a final metaphor for the alien to finally understand that, for one, she does not belong in this world, and two, she is not the only predator. Although the archetypes of the femme fatale got off lightly, what with one getting her freedom and becoming something other, and the other simply merging back with her male counterpart, the female alien in the film does not. She burns, her human skin showing her how to present her fear and horror until she is a mass of black apparent blood and guts, much like her victims. The red of the flame symbolising, perhaps, the overbearing aspect of her alien self being too much for her to bear. She cannot be anything else, and refusing to be what she actually is, has led her to be that of another victim. Which to our eyes, sets off another chain of human emotions of sadness and remorse for this alien that, after being around us, has wanted to perhaps become one of us. But, like I said earlier, this film has many interpretations. It's wholly up to the viewer to decide to give this alien the benefit of the doubt, or become the judge of her execution. What are your thoughts? If you enjoyed what was said, please follow me on Anchor and Spotify. Be kept in the loop for new episodes by following my Instagram. And if you have any questions, email me at twotakespodcast1 at gmail.com. And as always, thanks for listening.